Brooklyn, New York. I'm Adam Teeter, and this is a Vine Pair Podcast Conversation. We're bringing you these conversations between our regularly scheduled podcast episodes in order to give you a better picture of how the COVID-19 virus is impacting all parts of the alcohol beverage business as we help to provide a bit of hope and a path forward for all of us. Today, I'm talking with Mike Capaferi, the owner and operator of Thunderbolt in LA. Mike, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for having me, Adam. So Mike, before we uh, get into how you're doing, which of course I, I want to know, tell me a little bit about Thunderbolt. Yeah, so uh, Thunderbolt is in the Echo Park neighborhood of Los Angeles. We've been open a little over six months, um, and we are a neighborhood cocktail bar. So sort of the things we pride ourselves on is being super casual, super open, super welcoming, um, nothing nothing fancy, nothing stuffy. We sort of want to take any and all pretentiousness out of um, what what has historically come along with getting a great cocktail. So it's a sort of a fun, loud, casual environment. Um, we take our food and beverage very seriously here. Um, I think we deliver a really great product. Um, and we sort of, uh, lean Southern. So as far as like food menu goes, um, I'm from Atlanta and sort of greedily brought all the things I was nostalgic. Wait, you're from Atlanta. I'm from Atlanta. Yeah. Ah, I went to school at Emory and I'm from Auburn, Alabama. Oh, no way. I, uh, yeah. So I grew (laughs) up like, I grew up in a town called Johns Creek. But it wasn't called that when I grew up there. It's called that. It's like a new city that uh, formed after I moved. But uh, yeah, I went to Georgia State. Um, yeah, lived was in Atlanta the first twenty five years of my life. I used to live right by Emory. I used to I live. Uh, I lived on like uh, Claremont and Briarcliff for a little while, and then I forget. I, then then I lived in another. I was like renting a room in a house like very close to Emory for like six months. <sighs> yeah, I lived in a little there. five. Oh yeah, the best. Yeah, it's awesome. Yeah. Anyway, sorry for the tangent, but I was like, no, anytime that someone that's from Atlanta or whatever, I'm like, oh, sweet, this person's cool. So. Yeah. Well, you know what? Atlanta's great. There's a lot of us out here in LA. We we all kind of find each other, which is cool. All, all the all the Atlanta peeps. So, um, yeah, we definitely brought some of the South out here. You know, like um, doing Southern food that isn't Creole food, or you know what I mean. Like, I, right. we sort of want to do like other Southern because most attempts at New Orleans style Southern food are awful outside of New Orleans because it's like you know, that's Mecca. So why, why recreate that? So we're doing like other Southern and like really, really great high quality bar food for a cocktail place. Um, yeah. And it's a lot of fun. It's a, it's a beautiful space. We're in a neighborhood where we're the only, uh, liquor license within like three quarters of a mile in any direction. So it's a very like underserved neighborhood. There wasn't really a great place to go get a drink here. So, uh, we're just like really pumped to be here. Still. That's crazy. Like, very excited to still have the doors open in some way as well. Well, so so that's that's what I want to jump into immediately. So, how are you doing? What's happened? I mean, I think it's the fact that you're going through this only six months after opening is insane to me. Um, so, you know what what basically happened from the moment that you know California put down the shelter in place law? Um, how's your business adapted? If you can if you can fill us in, that would be awesome. Well, yeah. So, like. I think about the six month thing a lot. I've been, that's what I've been thinking about. It's like, what is this timing? It seems like I was like, this is the worst timing ever. We just opened. But then I think about the people who <laughs> opened two weeks ago, you know, and how bad that could be. Right. There's so many places in LA specifically that have just opened. And then, you know, it's, it's way harder for them or the places that were about to open. I know like there was a handful of places out here that had just hired a whole staff, but hadn't opened the doors yet. Like they don't get to take advantage of some of these new, payroll protection loans and things like that because they don't have any payroll proof. So uh, I, I like, I'm trying to look at the positive side of the six-month thing and be like, well, at least we have a track record. At least we garnered a bunch of support from the neighborhood and from the industry, and, and, and we earned a following, and um, we have 
have some records and some income to like prove to get a loan and things like that. Right. Um, but we'll get into that. Yeah. So I think like for us, it's almost like we're so small and lean that it's, I think it's probably easier for us to pivot and adapt to things like this. Um, I would never like consider what happened like serendipitous, but I would just consider the fact that we operated the way we operated already as, as like a little bit fortuitous, at least like it landed us in a position to be able to immediately flip operations. Um, because there's only a couple people calling the shots and it's a small place and a small staff. Um, so we, uh, if I have my dates right, we were open as long as they would allow us to be. So, um, through Sunday night, I think that was the 15th of March. And, uh, mm-hmm. we were open that night. And then around like 8 PM, the order from the mayor came out that at midnight, we had to shut down all dine-in operations. So like immediately just brainstorming, we were already like, you know, tiptoeing into the delivery pool on food. So um, had been working with Postmates a little bit, was 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 in the process of adding Grubhub and Seamless to that. So, and we were doing, you know, a, a hundred bucks a night of sales on there, like maybe two, three orders. Wasn't a big thing for us. So it was really scary at first thinking that that's what we were going to have to rely on, like just promoting Postmates business. Um, did a little research and found out that our liquor license allowed us to sell beer and wine off premise like this the whole time that wasn't like a new thing and it had the whole time we'd had the liquor license and so did everyone else's oh, wow. liquor license in la was allowed to do it like nobody really knew that nobody was really taking advantage of it um so we tried to spread that news as fast as we could to everyone else in the industry and i know a couple other people um in la adapted and started doing some beer and wine so that kind of carried us through for a few days we were able to sell wine to go we were able to like just blast it on instagram um add it all to postmates so people could get wine and beer delivered made it super affordable still not enough to to carry the team for sure so uh the thing that sort of saved us was the governor we were about a week behind new york doing this uh, loosening up liquor license restrictions as far as off-premise sale goes so he loosened up a few things we we're allowed to sell whole bottles of spirit off-premise for off-premise consumption we're allowed to sell cocktails that are packaged in the bar i mean that was the big one right it's like you're allowed to make a cocktail package it in like a one-time open container and sell it to go right so that was really what kind of uh spawned the the creativity and really so far has saved us i mean like look it's it's like any other day at a restaurant, like any day could be your last if people just stop <laughs> coming and buying shit. You know what I mean? Like whatever. But like right. now it's a, it's a little more stressful than usual. Um, but so far, I mean, I don't really know how many days it's been. Uh, it's been like a blur, but uh, like so far we're okay. And so far that side of the business, I mean now like because we have the cocktails, we're selling more food to go. You know what I mean? Like because we have a draw, okay, people yeah. are buying more things here. Um, because people are coming in to pick up, I have my whole back bar set up like a liquor store. And so we're selling a ton of bottles retail. Um, so it's a combination of all these things kind of building on each other um, to, to keep us alive. And obviously we're not doing the numbers we were, but we also don't have the overhead that we did um, because, you know, staffing is absolutely minimal and we, we canceled every service contract that wasn't absolutely necessary. Um, anyone who did something here that wasn't one of my employees that I could pay one of my employees to do, one of my employees is doing, you know, to keep hours. So, yeah. So that was sort of, that was sort of, uh, you know, the evolution of what we were allowed to do. 
um, like we can go as deep as you want into specifically how we're doing cocktails and how we're staffing and what the numbers look like. Like nothing's a secret, man. Like we can talk, we can talk numbers. We can talk. Yeah. I, I'd love to know that. Cause, cause one of my, so one of my questions, obviously the you've, I've heard a lot of other, now this is on the New York side, right? So, um, you know, New York bars sort of say is, and I've used this term in another interview I did last week that it was sort of like their perspective was that this, I, this ability to sell to go, et cetera, was kind of like a nasty carrot, if you will, yeah. like, or a rotting carrot. So like, yeah, it lets us stay alive, but like, you should let us close so we could be protected as well. And you should just get some, your shit together with the government to, to say that we'll be okay when it's over. Right. Yeah. So how are you going to actually protect us? Where's the funds going to come from? You know, all that stuff. And so, you know, a lot of people really struggled here with, do I stay open or not? Like, what are the positives and negatives? I'm curious what your opinion is of that um, and how much you weighed, whether you were going to stay open or whether you were just going to shut the doors. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I still weigh it every day. It's like, I've talked to everyone about this. I've, I've had so many phone calls with like uh, other bar managers and, and bar owners. And I'm just like, what, at what point is it an irresponsible choice to to do this? And like how, like as careful as we are, how careful can we actually be? And so, um, you know, what we've done is sort of like, you know, there's a, it's zero contact when people come pick up their stuff. They're you enter and you are limited to this one little corner of the restaurant where you pick up bags that are sealed with your name on it and you take it to go and you don't have to touch the door handle either way. And we can come sanitize the area after every person who comes in here, the area is big enough. We only allow two people in at a time, but so two people can be like nowhere near each other if they're in this waiting area to pick up. Mm -hmm. Um, and so what we've done and like, you know, I, I haven't even fully justified it to myself yet. I'm like, but what, but what I keep landing on is that we're a lot safer to come pick up food than a grocery store is right now. Like there's a, there's no right. one else touching the, sh the shit that you're picking up. You know what I mean? Nobody touched that potato right before you grabbed it. You know, we, we clean like crazy. We sanitize like crazy. We, we have control over the whole process of getting the food into your hand. So it's like, I, I, I don't know, like maybe I'm wrong and maybe what we're doing is irresponsible. I don't know, but I, I just feel like. I've been to the grocery store and it seems like a much safer process coming here to grab a, grab a hot meal from the grocery store. The other side of that is, uh, you know, we're, we're looking to expand a little more into some grocery now that LA's also freed up restrictions on that because we have access to a completely different supply chain than the, than the grocery stores have. So, you know, they're constantly out of flour and eggs and milk and toilet paper, things that I have no problem getting because the restaurant supply chain has the opposite problem. They have no restaurants to sell to. And they have a shitload of right. supply. So it, it's very easy for me to get my hands on these things that are very hard for other people to get. So I can make those available here. So, uh, you know, I, I've been going back and forth. Like, uh, are we doing a disservice to the community or are we providing a safe service to a community that absolutely needs one right now? Right. I don't know. It's tough. I think, I think the thing that is helping me justify what we're doing is that, like, from day one, so, it, like... Well, I guess day two. So day one, Monday, when we knew we weren't allowed to open, we came in, me and my chef, we shut the bar down, uh, you know, like winterized everything essentially and sold a couple to-go orders. Um, but just speaking with like some people who work for some brands that want to support us and some regulars, people were really excited about um, supporting the industry they love. And so starting that Tuesday, we had some funds come in um, so that we could offer free meals to 
uh, hospitality workers out of work. So people who, anyone who'd lost their job in hospitality. Um, and like, you know, our vetting process is you tell me that you lost your job in hospitality and I believe you. So, um, that's pretty amazing. You know, that started and we've had it, we've had it every day since we've had it meals available every day. Cause and we haven't solicited a donation yet. People just keep stepping up and, and contributing because they like what's happening. So now it's at like 465 meals we've given away. Um, like as we speak, I'm going That's in awesome. and uh, making making the form live right now, so we can start for today's meals. We start at 11:30 every morning. Um, like today's sponsor is just like a random person who's been here before who sent me an Instagram DM and was like, "I would like to donate some money to this thing. How do I do that?" Um, so it's it's happening in a lot of ways, and so that's another thing that sort of maybe I, th- I think it's good. I think a lot of people need a need a free meal right now, but like I also like. I, I don't know. It's 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 helping me justify the fact that we're open during a during a pandemic. You know. Yeah. So in terms of the cocktail program, what what are you selling to go, and how are? Can you actually explain? Because you you were saying it's sort of like one use to go. You know, bottles, et cetera. So how how did that how did that work? What did you when you realized that you were going to start selling cocktails to go? What was the thought process of how you were going to package them, et cetera? So they want to see like, and I, like, who knows how hard the agency is even looking right now. You know what I mean? Right. Um, but they want to see, they don't just want like a bottle with a reclosable screw top. That's not like secure enough for them, if that makes sense. Okay. Because they're thinking that someone could take that and go in the car and like drink it and then re- drink some of it and close it and like pretend like it was not ever opened. I don't, you know, these are old like blue laws that don't mean anything anymore. So they want to see like, we use a bottle capper on bottles. We, uh, we vac seal our cocktails in bags. And then like the big thing that's catching most of the hype is we have a, a can seamer on loan over here. So we are canning our carbonated cocktails to go, which is really cool. And these like adorable eight ounce uh, stubby aluminum cans. Oh, that's really cool. So that's like the, that's like the big thing that uh, people have cut on to. So, uh, so we're attacking it in three ways. So, um, we already were like a bar focused on like extreme carbonation of our carbonated cocktails. Like that's, uh, it's not the only thing we do, but when we do, we go like pretty hardcore on it. Um, and so like our most popular cocktail is something called the Tropi Pop. It's a, it's a clarified and carbonated pina colada and it's really delicious. And it's like this decadent tasting pina colada, but it's crystal clear and drinks like a highball. Right. So like, because it's a fun project and we were already sort of like working on a bunch of this stuff anyway, uh, you know, the project for us is, all right, let's figure out how we can deliver these cocktails as close to the in-bar experience as you can have at home. Like, I, I like what people are doing with the cocktail kits and make your own whatever at home. Um, it's not really our thing. Um, we're, we're, I haven't seen many other people doing, like, single-serve cocktails like we're doing at, like, mm-hmm. reasonable prices. Um, so that was kind of our focus. So um, with the canner, I'm able to do that Tropi Pop cocktail and then we keep rotating like another fun carbonated drink in. We were doing like a carbonated pineapple Negroni and now we're doing a like a clarified OJ and vanilla Aperol spritz. It's like a creamsicle spritz. It's like super carbonated. So for our carbonated cocktails, we're canning. So I have seven cocktails available at all times. Two carbonated and canned. One, uh, we had an espresso martini uh, that's forced nitrogenated and it, it serves like a nitro cold brew from a, from a stout tap. So we bottled that one um in like 187 mil champagne bottles the small champagne bottles and cap it with like a with a crown cap topper so it's like a one-time open oh wow and then and then for the other four cocktails they're all uh sealed in vac bags so it's like a martini variation a manhattan variation 
our old fashioned, which was uh, also one of our most popular cocktails. Um, it's like a pandan, uh, it's a pandan and coconut rye old fashioned, essentially. Um, that gets back bagged in like a two compartment bag where the second compartment has a, a big, like two inch clear rock ice cube in it. So you get like the, the ice and the cocktail experience when you take it home. Oh, that's awesome. And then there's a, then there's um, like our namesake cocktail, the peach thunderbolt. It's like a peach rum julep that is bagged. And so, so we're doing seven cocktails with like a big range of flavors and kind of something for everybody, but there's really no perishable ingredients in any of them. Like we're telling people two weeks, but honestly they could last months of, of shelf life, but they taste fresh. They taste exactly like they would when you have them at the bar. Um, and so people are like really going crazy for them. Like, and so we're selling a lot of cocktails that way. And it's and and the cocktail sales are boosting everything else, like I said. So you know, people are going on Postmates and they're ordering cocktails to go, and then they'll add on a couple snack items as well. And so they're getting delivery, you know, they're getting a whole delivery cocktail party, or they're coming in to pick up their cocktails and they're seeing the bottles on the back bar that we have priced at like very competitive liquor store prices. And they're like, oh, I need to pick up some mezcal for the house while I'm here. So uh, the, the everything's kind of like driving a, another revenue stream of the business, but it's all kind of built around us just like staying on the internet and hyping these cocktails. That's awesome. So to, to look a little bit forward, right, from what you guys are doing now, which I think is super innovative and really cool, to you know getting through this and where we are. First of all, now that you know that your liquor license actually does allow you to sell wine and beer to go, is that something you think you would continue to do? And do you think that there will be a push for some of these laws that have now changed to either stay or loosen a bit more. So by that, I mean, allowing cocktail bars to sell cocktails to go for, you know, the foreseeable future or yeah. uh, allowing for you to be able to sell some of your favorite spirits to your customers as well. I think some of these things will stay and there are licenses like that in LA already that exist. They just kind of stopped giving them out. Like there are a few bars that have had their license forever that were able to do this already. And so they loosened it up for everybody. And so it's not unprecedented. Uh, I, I think they should stay. I think, I don't know what further loosening of restrictions would come. But I think these things that like once we go through a few months of this and they realize that like, Hey, we didn't see like a bunch of people driving around drinking cocktails. Like this isn't going to increase DUIs. Like there's no reason bars shouldn't be able to do this. Uh, I think it'll stay. I also think that I hear a lot of people saying like, Oh, when this is over, like everyone's going to bounce back because everyone's going to go out so hard and we're all going to make our money back. But like, I don't believe that's true. I believe that people are going to tip yeah. really tiptoe back into being comfortable in a shoulder to shoulder busy bar. I don't think people are going to be comfortable with that for over a year. You know what I mean? I don't think this is like, Oh, like, you know, August, September comes and there hasn't been a new case in a minute. And like all of a sudden everyone goes back out and is like raging at bars again. I don't, I don't think it's that way. I like, we're, you know, I'm, well, I say we like, I'm like mentally preparing myself for this to be, uh, a long and slow transition back to people being in bars. Yeah. So they need to keep these, these new liquor license laws as loose as possible because we are going to need to sell to go for a long time. It's not just going to be for a month or two. Like the, the, the slow trickle of people back in is not going to, we're not going to survive on that. If the ability to sell off premise goes away. Um, yeah. Yeah. So we're just like adding as many things as we can. We're adding, uh, we're adding, uh, you know, gift card sales. We're promoting that now and we're adding like a 10% bonus on gift cards to people. We're calling them cocktail futures. If people want to come buy gift cards now, they get like 10%. Yeah, like that. You know? Um, and, you know, we got like, we just got a bunch of growlers in so that we can move through draft beer still and we can sell growlers of beer to go, which is something that I think 
will stay and what like we can do that long term like that that was already legal and i just didn't know it so we can sell growlers to go now which is really cool so i you know we're just like constantly trying to be creative and think of and think of ways to get more business through here like i don't i don't know yeah it could be tomorrow could be the last day people buy stuff from us i don't know how long we're going to be able to like create compelling reasons for people to spend their money with us or how long people are going to have the disposable income to to eat out and to get delivery food and to get, you know, a 12 or $13 cocktail delivered to them or come pick it up, you know, I, I, like who knows. But um, I do know that uh, historically it is, it is harder to open the doors a second time than it is the first time. And it's really fucking hard to open the doors of a bar or restaurant, at least in LA, in my experience, the first time. And so I'm terrified to shut the doors, even if it's deemed a temporary closure. I, I just know how hard it is to, to reopen. So, right. Yeah. So we're just kind of doing everything we can, you know? Well, Mike, it sounds like you're doing a lot. And, uh, you know, honestly, I, I cannot wait when this is all over to be able to come back out to LA and, and get a drink with you and, and finally, and check out Thunderbolt. Cause I mean, I think, the the stuff you're doing is pretty amazing. Feeding out of work hospitality workers, you should be highly commended for that. Um, I think more people should should see should know you're doing that and should do it as well. Um, that is just an amazing amazing project that you've taken on, and the cocktails sound delicious. So anyone who is listening who's in LA should for sure go and get some cocktails to go. Um, at Thunderbolt. Yes, but thank you for the shameless plug that I was looking for an opportunity to give myself. Uh, I very much appreciate that. Yes, <laughs> come get, come get, come, come get your cocktails here. And yeah, hopefully, let's talk again when this is all when this is all over. Awesome, Adam. Thank you so much, man. Really appreciate you having me on. Thanks so much, Mike. Thanks so much for listening to the Vine Pair Podcast. If you enjoy listening to us every week, please leave us a review or rating on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever it is that you get your podcasts. It really helps everyone else discover the show. Now for the credits. Vine Pair is produced and hosted by Zach Jabal, Erica Ducey, and me, Adam Teeter. Our engineer is Nick Patry and Keith Beavers. I'd also like to give a special shout out to my Vine Pair co-founder, Josh Mallon, and the rest of the Vine Pair team for their support. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you again right here next week.